This is the EWN Podcast Network. Are you ready to live your life by your rules? Need some inspiration? Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success, the podcast that brings you interviews with people who have had their life path challenged and have redefined what success in a first-class life really means to them with tales of roads taken, detours explored, turning points, and transformation. Here is your host, First Class Life mentor, Kate Fessler. Welcome to First Class Life, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and this week my guest is Michelle Bale. Michelle is an independent interior designer with her own boutique firm. Bale & Co. Interior Design Services opened in 2011, specializing in residential and light commercial design. Reflecting on her client's personality in her designs is important to Michelle as she creates and curates the perfect space, balancing functionality, color, texture, and Mm ambiance. To Michelle, designing is a perfect opportunity to enhance your life, reflect your personality, increase productivity, and invite relaxation. Michelle is also a licensed optician for 28 years and counting and owns her own eyewear boutique in Seattle. She also volunteers for the organization VOSH, which she travels with which she travels to third world countries, bringing complete optical, including glasses, to remote villages. Michelle's passion for travel also brings a fresh and diverse eye to her designs. When she has a free hour or two on these volunteer trips, she seeks out women-owned creative businesses. She purchases their wares and resells the curated items and gives a percentage of the proceeds back to these women to give them an additional step up. Michelle's been recognized in 2020 Magazine for a well-designed optical store, For Your Eyes Only, in Kirkland, Washington, and the New York Times for a well-designed boutique theater, the Starlight Room in Port Townsend. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Kate. Let's go back to the early days. Did you always want to be an interior designer, or as a kid, did you have something else in mind for when you grew up? Uh Uh-huh. Truth be told, my mom asked me when I was 12 years old, what I wanted to do, what I was curious about is probably what she said uh, for a job. And I said, I wanted to be an interior designer Mm. at 12 years old. So yeah, it's something that I've always been interested in color texture. Um, I loved fabrics early on. So I, it took me a while to get there. The stepping stones were long, (laughs) but yeah, I arrived. (laughs) So when and how did you become interested in being an optician? I tripped and fell in that industry. (laughs) I moved to Seattle after I graduated from design school and um, attempted to get a full-time job in Seattle as an interior designer. I had already been working in the field and was struggling to find full-time work. Part-time work was pretty accessible to me. But at the time, the Design Center showroom was was big. It was like about three times as big as it is now. And you could only work for one showroom at a time. And, you know, in the late 80s, that was the place to work was the Design Center. And so I just couldn't live off of 20 hours a week. So I just did some other work and then found a sales position in the optical field. And I really enjoyed it. I just felt like... I got to use those elements and principles of design, you know, face in your face shape. So color, proportion, line. And I just I stayed there because it was interesting. And I also like 
um, numbers and mathematics. And uh, so that was an opportunity for me to work with formulas. And yeah, then I became, I did a apprenticeship program basically and accumulated my hours that I needed to take my state boards for opticianry. And I did so after I did that and I studied for about 18 months pretty solidly and passed my boards and got that degree. So that's something that you can do as an apprentice program. You don't need like a specialized, you know, college degree or a specialized degree of some kind. As a licensed optician, now just so you know, we're like a pharmacist. So we fill the prescription. We don't do the eye exams. And um, you can accumulate your apprenticeship hours. It takes about three years to accumulate the enough hours that you need to qualify for sitting for the boards. But there's a lot of technical information that you, you still need classes for. Um, I had the beauty of being able to work in the industry and work beside a handful of very supportive doctors that could help me if I was struggling with something in particular. So, so during this time when you were becoming an optician and ultimately moving into owning your own boutique eyewear shop, were you still doing design work? No, I, I wasn't. I wasn't doing design at all. Um, yeah, I, but I did take a break midstream after I sold my first company. Um, I took a little sabbatical-ish from the optical industry, and I worked for a showroom downtown Seattle for a spell. And so you reignited your passion? I wanted, yeah, maybe I just wanted to see if it was still there. Did I still have it? <laughs> yeah, and apparently you did. I did. And then I went, but I went back to the optical industry because it was easy. It was what I knew. And um, at the time I just, I liked being engaged with more people. I like a lot of different conversations and when design is different, you work with one or two or three or four clients at a time, as opposed to, you know, 10, 12, 15 people a day in the optical field. So I didn't feel like I was connecting with enough people. Mm. So I actually, didn't stay in it. I left again, went back to optical. And then I came back. <laughs> and then you came back. It kept calling you back. So yeah. tell me about some of your design projects. You won some recognition for the Starlight Theater in Port Townsend and apparently for your original eyewear company, which I remember this in Kirkland, Washington. I didn't know that was yours. Yeah. Um, yeah. What other types of projects do you do? Well, I specialize in residential and light commercial design. So I, you know, office spaces, boutique theaters, I've done two of them now. <laughs> um, and I don't do restaurants. That's just too crazy for me. <laughs> but <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's that's my niche is is the home and small spaces, small res, uh, commercial projects. So what's your favorite type of client to work with um, and, and the type of design project to work on? Or if they're different, uh, tell me about each. Oh, I'm not sure I have uh, a favorite like style or, or thing to do because I really like learning to work with new on new projects, things that sort of push me beyond something that I won't, don't know about. So for instance, um, 
I've got a project coming up around the corner that is a meditation center in Bellevue. And I've not done one of those before, but it's, it connects with me. And it, and so I really like projects that are going to connect with me. Um, soulfully, I guess, somehow they, they call me to them. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but I, those are the ones that are the most rewarding because I know that I'm working with the right person and the right, um, design will just come out of those conversations that I have with them. So I, I don't know. I have, I like variety. So right now I'm working on a, on a home that's, uh, it's a craftsman style home in Mount Baker. It's over, it's about a hundred years old. So very different from the contemporary, um, penthouse condominium that I'm working on. So that's very clean, very gray, very, you know, stark. So contrast, compare and contrast, they're very different. Um, but I think that's what keeps it interesting for me. If I was doing the same sort of style over and over and I had some sort of just definite signature to everything that I did, I don't think I would feel like I was learning and creative, being creative enough. Hmm. So aside from that sort of wide range of craftsmen to this new sort of very modern, sleek design, what other changes have you seen in the design industry? I mean, you mentioned earlier the Seattle Design Center, which used to be sort of the place to go. And um, there wasn't a lot of work for interior designers because essentially you were selling products. That was kind of how the industry worked. But now it seems as if there's a little more of a an opportunity, especially with all this HGTV stuff. And, you know, people are really into sort of like, what does their environment look like? Whereas... Uh, did it used to be like that people didn't care as much or what do you think the the shift has been? Um, you know, just the way we live now with all of the um, online capabilities that we have as a whole, it impacts every industry, whether you're a supermarket, whether you're a, a local little Ace hardware store, the fact that we have this online accessibility the way that we do changes everybody, everybody's business. It's not just design, but design specific. Um, It creates an environment, an online environment that allows people to be more free at cost effectively by shopping at, you know, deep discount places to experiment with their, interiors Mm -hmm. um the way that it's impacted the interior design industry as a whole is there are a lot more DIYers out there that feel that by watching videos and creating you know little mood boards themselves that they can create this amazing space which you know there is a, a ton of talent in this world I'm not saying people can't do that that's it's just impacted the understanding and the the skills that an interior designer brings to the client. So there's a lot more education on my end. Um, If that's the person that's coming to me, like, and they want to, to buy something online versus um, a product that I've hand, that I've selected. I'm selecting product because I've sat in it. I know the quality. I know how it's made. 
I know um, if it's firm or soft or so there's, you know, trusting your designer is really important because the quality of what they're probably suggesting is going to supersede what you're going to get online at the, the deep discount places. Yeah. I just found out recently uh, that even if it's a, a brand name that you know, that when you go to like the big box store, or you look online and you see the prices are so much lower that in fact, it's not the same quality as what you've come to expect that they create these sort of lesser quality, lower priced items mm -hmm. specifically because people want lower prices. But in fact, you're right. You're, you're not getting the same quality, but you, you might think you are like people may not know that in a picture. It looks like you are because it photographs well. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of times the, the product doesn't last long. It's made of press board, you know, it's screwed together instead of, you know, dovetail or tongue and groove glued, you know, you've got the, all the different types of springs that you would um, have a nice sofa or chair for support uh, made out of, whereas something that you'll buy online is some foam that has fabric wrapped around it, stapled to some particle board underneath. And typically, you know, you get what you pay for online. You will have a chair, a nice chair that will last you about a year or two until the kids have completely destroyed it. There's a lot. I think one of the key things that people don't understand is to really look for if you're shopping for something online, you have to go into the details of that product and see what the weight bearing load is. A lot of that furniture has a maximum capacity of 220 pounds, 180 to 220. So if you've got all of a sudden two people sitting in the chair, you know, cause they're just sitting, you know, having fun. They're cuddling. Yeah, they're cuddling. <laughs> and the chair breaks. It's like, oh, <laughs> you know. That so, ruins the mood. Yeah, yeah, it could. So I always think it's important to, to read the details of those products that you're trying to um, price shop online. But luckily, I don't have a lot of those clients. Um, most of my clients trust um, that I'm going to bring them great quality, great value. And I'm, of course, helping manage their budget at the same time. So they're getting, they get to have it all. So you are super busy right now with design projects and super happy doing them. It yeah. sounds like now that you're back again to the design world. Yeah. Um, but I know you went through a bit of a down period. Um, you had some personal stuff going on. You ended up shutting down a shop that you owned in conjunction with your design business. Would you mind sharing a bit of what that was like for you? Yeah, I'll take you back. <laughs> um, about nine years ago, I was going through a divorce, simultaneously opening uh, Wink Eyewear, the optical store. And then about 20 months after that, I opened a home decor store with a business partner. And that, that the timing of that was not quite right. I was very excited to get back to design and I felt like it, it felt on some degree that it should be the right timing, but it wasn't, it was a challenge, but it was, it really made me realize that like understand more about limitations. I think that we think that we're 
wonder women and we can go and do any and everything, but we also have to honor where the limitations are and, and how we work. We can't do it all. We just think we can in our head. I'm like, you know, just almost like a DIY project for people. Oh, I can make that. I can paint that. <laughs> and mm. then you find out you can't. So I was overloaded. I was um, pretty burnt out, closed that store and proceeded to reopen another one <laughs> like four years later and try it again. And that wore me out again. So um, I think just all in all, I really love retail. I love connecting with people in a retail environment. I love the fact that people get excited about home decor product or eyewear products if they're in the eyewear store. And so I just, I will always love retail, but Right now, given the stage that I'm at in my life, I think one retail store is enough and one design firm is enough. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like quite a bit anyway to manage. How do you find time for it all? Um, it can be a juggling act. First and foremost, I'm grateful I have a great team at Wink Eyewear. So that store, now that it's you know nine and a half years old, approximately, it sort of runs on its own without me. I work a lot of behind the scenes, all the financials and the buying and um, events and special planning, all of that marketing. I do all that. So I just am not as present in the store because my happy place is design work and um, working with those clients now. So how do I do it? Um, the first thing I have to do is give myself me time. If I don't give myself my own time before I start my day, I notice that after about four or five days of not giving myself time, I start to feel unraveled, like, oh, the, you know, frustrated and, and stressed. And so I have, to, I have to start with me first. And that sort of sets the tone for the day. It sets my mind in the right place. Um, I feel productive and, um, yeah, I, I mark off these really important boxes first thing in the morning. So you have a personal self-care practice that you do in the morning that's made a huge difference in your life. Tell me about that practice and what it's done for you. Yeah. So it's been uh, January 1, not this past year, but the year b before I decided to change the, the way that I was living um, and find more joy and more peace with all the things I had brought into my world. I was um, very busy and I was doing well, but I wasn't very happy at the time. So I decided to create a program just out of the blue. I said, okay, this is all about me. How, what does this look like? So I get up in the morning quite early. And the first thing I do is I read 30 minutes of something that's either going to move me forward professionally or soulful, soulfully. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> and then I meditate for about 20 minutes. And then I do yoga for about 45 and then I journal about 10. And when you add all the minutes of, of my, my program together, it comes to 108 minutes. So I give myself the first 108 minutes of the, of the day in the morning and I'm done by 6.48 a.m. in time to get in the shower at seven and get ready for my day. 
And what's the significance of 108 minutes? Um, well, in the Buddhist contemplative world, there's um, the beads that they use, those um, beaded strands. There's 108 beads on it and supposedly 108 mantras. And the significance of the number itself, so you have one being you, the individual, um, zero, which is continuous, and then eight is forever, infinity. So you have one of you for infinity. And, and when you think about that just in, in general, nobody else is going to do that work for you that's going to you know, keep you going day after day the infinity cycle, you know, you can't do that for me. My dog can't do that for me. So, you know, you have to do that for yourself or find a practice that is structured in a way that really fills you up. And it is, it has completely changed my world. I am happier. I get so much done. I luckily and, and am fortunate that I have, that I am a morning person. So mornings, are my happy time. I get, I've always loved mornings. So this, it works for me. Now for some people, a structure like that might be better in the evening. But I know that given my jam packed typical day, by the end of the day, I'm so tired that I have 108 excuses as to why I'm not going to do it. So it never happens. Um, so I have to do it first thing. And I'm always grateful that I, that I do. In the very beginning, I remember just sort of kicking and screaming at myself. And, you know, my journal was like, I'm frustrated. I didn't do my, my meditation. I couldn't get any, you know, so you, you have to get a, it takes a while. You get the rhythm. Mm-hmm. So do decide to try a practice like that you have to honor your process and honor the time that it takes your body to shift and move into something that's new because once I got into a rhythm with this morning practice it seemed like everything just started to fall in place for me and the things that weren't important just fell away Hmm. and it's almost, you know, naturally just made space for the new stuff. And I don't, I didn't have to work as hard. I, I don't stress out like I used to. I just sort of let it go. It's like, there's just one of me. And I think most people I work with, I'm very transparent with my design clients. I have this other business, you know, and um, they understand. I don't have a team of people behind me doing all these other little tasks. I don't have a virtual assistant yet. (laughs) I don't have, you know, a bookkeeper. I do all of it. So yeah, get your mind in the, in the, in a really good mindset first thing in the morning. And I think it's really just sort of the trajectory of your day. It becomes more positive and more receptive. I'm more aware of what's around me and in just this very fulfilling way, you know, I see the beauty in things differently than I used to. That sounds wonderful. (laughs) Tell me about VOSH, V-O-S-H. What does that stand for? That is a vision optometric services for humanity. And I belong to the Northwest chapter. We meet here in Seattle um, every other week. And we, first and foremost, we Take all your old glasses. So if you have old glasses, I would love to have those. We take them on our mission trips. 
And there are several teams of people that are um, traveling various places. There, we, there is a team that goes to Mexico every year. Um, I typically go to more remote places. Um, I prefer the really desolate third world country areas. Um, so yeah, we, we put together a team of 14 to 16 doctors and opticians, uh, some volunteers, um, some of the, the tasks that we have are teachable. So anyone can go on a trip. You just have to be a member. And we go to these third world countries and we provide eye care services in the form of eye exams and then provide them with new glasses, new to them glasses. So your old donations become their new glasses. And we typically run clinic for a total of five days. Sometimes we split it up in two different villages. And our goal is always to serve between 1,200 and 1,500 patients in five days. Wow, that's a lot. It is. Yeah. What's the most remote village you've ever been to? Guar, um, Nepal, which wow. is on the near the border of India, and um, yeah, it's very remote. So about every few years, uh, monsoon. A lot of the village gets wiped out with monsoons. Mm. They um, have very little running water for um, utilities in this community. Um, occasionally you have electricity, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, although a lot of the kids have their phones, their cell phones, and they go into the nearest place that has one, you know, they're all huddled in the, the center of the community <laughs> trying to use their cell phones. Um, so, da. That was the most remote. It was the most beautiful, though. It was just so incredible to be around these people that had next to nothing and live like they live and eat the food that they prepare. And just the gratitude was, it was very humbling. So, so humbling that they they would have nothing but give you everything that they had at the same time. It was, it's one of the most rewarding things that I do in my life is volunteering for Vosh makes me so happy. If I just didn't have other responsibilities in this world to take care of, I would just do that all the time. Well, you're helping a lot of people. Yeah. A team is. Yeah. Well, we're at that point in the program where I have to ask you what is one book or resource that changed your life that you would recommend to people? I love books. And, um, oh my gosh, just, so one of my all time business favorite books is the Jack Canfield success principles. It's deep, it's thick. You could, you could spend a whole year on one chapter, you know, finishing it literally from front to back that little tiny section and, and, and you will always move forward both personally and professionally. So I, I just love the wisdom of that book and it's highlighted and dog-eared and scribbled in and <laughs> beat up. <laughs> so for business, that would be, that would be 
probably one of my all-time favorites. I go back to it somewhat regularly and refer to it. I should go back and just start it all over and read it all over again, but I get so sucked into all these other books too. Yeah, I know. I love books too. So there's always something new, right? Is there a personal book you Mm -hmm. keep saying for business? Is there a personal one that you would recommend or... I would say it's more like a topic right now. I'm, I'm really um, exploring the history because meditation has worked so well for me. I've been really exploring the history of meditation and its connection with different religious sectors. It's really fascinating to me. Um, you know, Thomas Keating books, um, they can get kind of deep and dry for some people, but it's, I, I just find them really interesting. I listen to podcasts, a lot of different podcasts too. So it's, I love the variety that we have to like take in information now. Mm-hmm. So I'm either, I'm always listening to audible. I've got a podcast. If I'm doing paperwork, I have the book that I read in the morning and I have the book that I read at night. So it's like, I try to fit in a lot of, information into my head. Mm. Michelle, how do you personally define success? In other words, what does your authentic first class life look like? Um, success is to me being in that really happy place where you get up in the morning and you're doing your work and you're, and you're feeling joyful you're not feeling uh, regulated by you've got to a point where financially things are a little bit more comfortable. So you're not regulated by the next dollar Um, and you can kind of move through life more at ease. I, I think the next level of success for me would be ease of schedule you know, being able to say yes more um, spontaneously than, oh, I can get you in in 10 days between this time and this time. Um, but that's, that's the cycle you have to go through in order to get to the next, you know, phase of, you know, that financial success. But I think success can be a lot of different. There, I feel like there's different, different pieces to it. So you have the spiritual success, you know, like, how do you feel here? And if you're, if you're calm and at peace here on a day-to-day basis, that's a huge success because honestly, that first and foremost is going to impact your business success or your success in your relationship, whether it's with a partner or friend, business relationships. So um, success is, is a huge umbrella and, I think the core of it is personal joy, personal peace, personal happiness. So, so finding that success first was the best thing for me. I struggled with that. I was over, and I went over here and then I, you know, open those darn stores over and over again, thinking that that was going to be the success. And honestly, when I closed that second um, store, I was, I was so relieved. And I realized, finally, it's not about that. It's, it's about how you are in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's not about all the stuff that I'm ha- I can do and have and buy. And it was just 
that success is, is being a part of Vosh successes, you know, being able to go for a walk with my dog in the middle of the day. Money helps always, but I don't, I don't, for me, it's not about that as much as it is about a peaceful freedom. Mm -hmm. Yep. Well, if people want to find out more about you and your work, either the eyewear boutique or your design company, how can they do that? Um, so Facebook seems to be my really easy place right now <laughs> and Instagram. So it's wink, uh, wink eyewear.com. It's wink hyphen eyewear.com. Uh, and wink eyewear Seattle at Facebook on Facebook. And then it's michelle.bale on Instagram handle. My interior design profile page is bale, B-A-Y-L-E, designstudio.com. Or you can email me directly. I'd love to answer any questions that people would have. And that's michelle with one L and an E on the end at baleandco.com. Is it B-A-Y-L-E-A-N-D-C-O.com? Correct. What about Vosh? How can people find out more and maybe donate their old glasses or some money to support the efforts? Yeah, so this is really cool. We just got um, the okay two weeks ago to create um, our own marketing campaign for that. Um, of course, you can bring your glasses into Wink Eyewear, and that's um, in the store, or you can mail them to us. And the address is 4854 Rainier Avenue South, Seattle, nine eight one one eight and um or you can bring them in if you are in the seattle area and then those can be utilized what's next for michelle bell mm, what's next ride this wave of Bus busyness right now. I've got so many projects right now and it's super fun because each one is so different. So I'm riding that wave and pre-planning um, to build my own house, hopefully. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of planning in between all the other things I do, but I'm hopeful. Um, working on that, I am going to be remodeling Wink Eyewear this year. We will be celebrating our 10th anniversary in the spring next year, so there'll be a big party and a big reveal. And I'm designing, I've, so one of the things I'm working on that I didn't talk about was, you know, mentioned that I work with these small women businesses when I travel with Vosh. Mm -hmm. And um, I've, I've, um, purchased a whole bunch of fabric from Africa and I'm creating my own soft goods line under the Bailing company brand using their beautiful batik fabrics. So that will be launching hopefully before the summer's over. We've got um, pillows in production. We have placemats and napkins and table runners and little coasters and tab top drapes and all of those things being made out of this beautiful handmade fabric. So that's, I'm working on that. And then one other little tiny thing, and that's a, as an eyeglass case collection oh. made of natural fibers. 
So there you I, think you're, I think you're going to have to start delegating, Michelle. I think I some of the stuff that you're doing yourself, you're going to have to let it go. You got too much going on. I got to teach my dog how to, you know, <laughs> be my virtual assistant. He's busy napping right now. Yes. Being a, a, a dog parent myself, they're not very helpful that way. <laughs> no. No. Independent design consultant, owner of Bale and Co. and boutique eyewear shop Wink, and Vosh volunteer Michelle Bale. Thanks so much for sharing your story with me today. Thanks for having me, Kate. It was wonderful, and I, I loved sharing my story. Thank you for facilitating. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of First Class Life, Redefining Success with Kate Fessler. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And for more great content and to stay up to date, visit FirstClassLifeSolutions.com, on Twitter at Kate Fessler, and on Facebook at First Class Life Solutions. We'll catch you next time. This is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.